0: Welcome to Recovery Is Possible, a weekly podcast exploring the opioid crisis through personal stories and interviews with individuals, families, and community members. This podcast is brought to you by the Hills Opioid Response Consortium, funded through the HRSA Federal Office of Rural Health Policy. In episode four, Shirley's story, we're talking to peer support specialist, Shirley Hart shirley shares her story of loss using alcohol and other substances to cope and how her long-term recovery is so important to her welcome shirley welcome so tell me a little bit about yourself and a little bit of background about you before we get into your story
1: okay um i am a mother of six um i have a daughter that died at the age of seven years old and a fire uh i have Been in long-term recovery for going on 21 years. And uh, what else? Um, I enjoy what I'm doing. I'm the director of To Your Heart Community Recovery Program, which I started in 2004 um, after a long journey. And uh, I look back into my community, which I live in Hope County, and realized that we did not have a recovery program. So I started my own recovery program. I started it out in my church, and then from there I ventured out on my own.
0: Wow, that's quite a story. So, you've been in recovery for 21 years. Mm-hmm. What are you in recovery from?
1: Uh, well, I'm in recovery from addiction of alcohol and and drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, crack cocaine was my drug of choice as well, and then I ventured over into. Well, powder cocaine was my drug of choice, and then I ventured over into crack cocaine. Um, drinking and well, marijuana wasn't so much of of me uh, get using, because marijuana to me was slow, and mm. it kept me sort of down, sort of mellow. I, I couldn't deal with marijuana, so I was just a drinker and uh, powder and crack cocaine.
0: So in the interviews I've done, I noticed people are looking for a certain feeling. Some people want that calming feeling that come with marijuana or different kinds of drugs. And then some people want energy and to be able to pick up the pace to maybe to keep up with having a bunch of kids and trying to keep up with life. So what was it about
1: cocaine? Well, well, mine's was to kill the pain. I, um, uh, like I said, I lost when my mother, she died when I was nine years old. And, uh, then I had a best cousin, favorite cousin, and she got killed. So to keep from dealing with the pain, getting hired did that for me. I didn't have to think about it.
0: So your mother died when you were nine? Yes. How, at what age did you start using some sort of substance?
1: I started at the age of 14. Uh, And that was hanging out with my cousins and looking at them, you know, drinking. And I think my first drink was country club, (laughs) malt like a beer. And uh, just drinking and hanging out with them, you know, that was the beginning of a long journey of getting high.
0: Between 9 and 14, how did you cope with the loss of your mother?
1: That was something that was... well, was told, you know, like, you don't cry. Mm-hmm. God knows best. So I didn't know what to do with those those feelings, you know. I uh, sort of, like, took my feelings and I had my baby sister sort of looked out for her. Uh, because, well you know, I had older sisters, but it was just us and my brother, three of us that was left at home. So uh, sort of looking out for her and making sure that she was all right. Pushing her into being... Um, she loved sports, track, so pushing and she liked to sing. So I was also like pushing her into going into those directions.
0: So you were mothering her? Yes. yes. And nobody was mothering you? No. Mm-hmm. So at 14, did you have any sense of danger, I guess, about drinking or getting involved in something like that?
1: No, not really. Uh, it didn't phase me about, I guess any dangers or what would happen afterwards to me it was just a fun thing you know just i guess hanging out because i saw everybody laughing and you know didn't see too much violence or anything after you know getting high but just seeing laughter and joy Hmm. so that was sort of where i wanted to be at
0: and where's where was your father during this time
1: My father, he was living in Raleigh. He had gotten in trouble and he was in prison. So my grandmother, she raised us, but she had like four sets of grandkids, you know, so they was all girls and maybe two boys that was there, but they was much older. It was, uh, the two sets of grandkids that was younger was myself and my, uh, my sister and my two cousins. So it was just like us right in there. So she raised us.
0: I can't imagine she could provide a ton of supervision for that many children.
1: She did. <laughs> <laughs> really, she will not no joke.
0: <laughs> so if you were drinking and all this at 14 and your grandmother sounds like she had a firm hand.
1: Yes, she did. She did.
0: What did she do when she discovered you were doing well, this? Well, that's one, th- I
1: don't even really think she ever discovered it because. Right after that, um, I think I moved to Raleigh to stay with my dad, so she didn't ever know anything about it. And then um, I think when I moved to Raleigh and stayed with, stay with my dad, me and my baby sister, um, there wasn't no, I mean, even though we knew my dad drank and everything like that, but it didn't phase us, you know. Our focus was going to school and doing what we had to do. Um, So I didn't drink long in there, you know. I say from 14 to 15, then 16, my 16 year, when I turned 16, I went to New York. So when I went to New York, that's where living with my sister, uh, the drinking began again, you know, because she did it and, you know, she was doing things that she ain't had no doing as a married woman. But, uh, you know, just hanging out with her and supporting her in saying what she was doing, you know. So that's when I started, you know, drinking again. But then I didn't, and then working, uh, I went to work every day. Um, And uh, I think my first job was working with OIC. And working there was, it was fantastic, you know. And then long and then, you know, they had bars in the office, you know, because they had, when they give conference, you know. So I ended up in the conference room, uh, hanging out with some people that was drinking and stuff. And then that led into cocaine.
0: So you're in New York. Mm-hmm. What is OIC?
1: Opportunity Industrialization Center.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, that's when I met my children's dad. Uh and uh, he was much older than I was. He's about 15 years older than I was. And uh, he was into drugs. And I got introduced to cocaine. And I liked it, the high with cocaine. I really did. Uh, I, as a matter of fact, I had a good time. You know, I'm not going to tell nobody I didn't have no good time getting because I did. <laughs> it was just the consequences that come behind it. But uh, he introduced me to cocaine, and then... Um, I worked, like I said, I worked every day, you know, uh, sent my oldest daughter, sent her to private school, made sure she was in school. Had uh, Well, one thing in my addiction, I tried to make sure that my children was taken care of. Regardless of what I did, I tried to make sure that they was taken care of. And uh,
0: Were you able to stop using drugs while you were pregnant? Oh, I could stop.
1: Yeah. I stopped, and then, say, maybe six or seven months after that, I will start right back. So, so you felt was, like you
0: had some control over it.
1: I thought I had control. Mm-hmm. You know, even um, yeah, I had control of it and uh, sometimes I wonder now where did I end up losing control, you know. Uh, and uh, being up there in New York and my um, my ex, God bless him, he's dead now. Um, he um, like I said, he was a drug dealer, and he had gotten in trouble with one of the drug dealers. And uh, i never forget that day, uh, my kids was in the bed. My oldest daughter and my son at that time was in the bed asleep, and they threw a garbage can through my window. And uh, oh, I was really upset, and my son, he slept through it, but my oldest daughter, you know, it sort of panicked her. But the next day... I went to the drug dealers, I went to his club, I kind went there, and uh, he had his guys hanging all around, and uh, I walked in there and I asked to see him, and uh, I told him, you know, look, I'm going to tell you like this, um, you might have a Smith and Winston, and so do I. I says, but when I come home from work this evening, I want my window fixed. And I, they usually called uh, my husband Jazzy B. I, I say, whatever happened between you and Jazzy B, that's between you guys. I said, but when I come home this evening, I want mine. And I says, uh, and I'm not playing, you know. So he he just looked at me and I turned on around and walked out and uh, going to the train station and going down to the train station, my legs just buckled because <laughs> I didn't have nothing. <laughs> I let them know and I was talking loud enough to let them know I say you might get me but I'm no I say I might go down but I'm gonna make sure you go down first you know and I walked them out and my legs buckled and I went on to work <laughs> but when I got home that evening my wonder was fixed wow. you know so uh, I, I then that made me look at you know I have all these my kids and this is not the life for me but it still did not stop me from wanting to get high you know
0: that so when it. would you get high? You have these kids, you work, you take your kids I would, to school. You know,
1: oh, uh, I had, the where I was sitting at on my job, like I had a little office, a little cubit. Wasn't nobody back there but me. I would sit back there and get high. <laughs> I would sit back there and get high, uh, get me a cup, pop me a beer, and, you know, here we go, you know. Uh, we'll go sit out, a couple of us will go sit in the park for lunch and, you know. Like I said, the only thing, I just didn't like marijuana because marijuana was very slow. And I remember when I was smoking marijuana, me and my godmother went to the liquor store. So she went in and she got the liquor, and we, you know, a couple of more of us in the car smoking. And so I'm driving, and I'm just wondering why all these cars is driving so fast by me. Why don't they slow down and realize I ain't never moving? <laughs> So that stopped me with marijuana right then and there, you know, but, uh, it was, it was something, you know, and then I, um, hi, I, I saw this young lady that lived across the street from me. That's why I say, never say what you never do. Mm. Uh, this young lady, she was sitting across, she lived across the street and she came on my stoop one evening and she was talking to me and she was smoking crack with freebasing, you know, she was smoking it. And, uh. I'm looking at her and I'm saying, is this woman for real? You know, even though I am snorting cocaine, but I'm I'm judging her for what she's doing, you know. And uh, you know, and I even told the landlord about it, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm a busy butt, you know? <laughs> So later on, I say about six months later, I found myself doing the same thing, you know. And it made me realize, see how you judge people. You know, you can't say what you won't do because you don't know, you know. So that taught me a lesson from judging. You know, I don't judge anybody for what they do.
0: Where you know? did you transition to that? At my house.
1: Um, my uh, husband, he was, was JB. He was cooking it. And I was curious of what he was doing. And, you know, he said, well, here, I'm going to show you how to try this. So that's how. I ended up doing that, you know. And then um, I left New York and come back to North Carolina. And uh, I uh, saw the sign said, Welcome to North Carolina, respect the law. And I looked at that sign and I just bust out what they left because I know they weren't talking about me. I say, they ain't talking about me. Well, that's good, you know. But then I found out later they were talking uh-huh. to me. <laughs> Every time I look up, the police was at my house. You know, I said, Oh my goodness, they was coming there so much. I said, I didn't know whether I was going to a funeral or discotheque. You know, I said, Look, I'm gonna tell y'all something. If y'all want me, just call me up and I'll come downtown. You know, you're, you're making my house look bad.
0: So, how did they, first of all, did you bring your children with you? Yes, I did. Okay, so you have, at this time, was your daughter still alive? No, I had
1: more kids then. Uh, I a matter of fact, I had had them all, all except for one, my baby girl. Mm -hmm. Um, We came down, and uh, I moved in with my sister, and that didn't work out. You know, two women can't stay together too long. (laughs) So uh, then I ended up moving with my daddy, and uh, that didn't work out too long either, because he was a busy, but my daddy shot at me. Mm -hmm. You know, that's why I said... (laughs) And I I just, you know, I look at him, I looked at him and I said, is this man for real? So, but he was for real. And after that, we found a place. And finding this place, we, well, no, before I got there, um, I uh, moved in with this guy, which was my baby girl's uh, daddy. And he put me and my children out. Mm -hmm. He put us out, you know and we had to go in a shelter. So we stayed there for a while. Matter of fact, we stayed there for about five days, and my sister had found this trailer, and we came back to Rayford and moved in that trailer. So then uh, we stayed there, still getting high, still making sure the children have, and even sitting down talking to my kids about drugs and alcohol, you know, not to do it, you know. Uh, Then,
0: let me ask you, did your mm-hmm. kids know you were doing it?
1: They might have well, I try when I got high I mostly try to make sure that they was asleep or they was away somewhere. Um, unless someone told them. You know. Even to the day they have not even yet told me. Well, Mama, we knew that you was, you know. Uh, and I've had conversations with them. But um when I guess when um, getting to the point where Tia, we um, we had went to church that night, and Tia was a child that how can you? do She was a loving child. She was uh, a child that she wanted to be a school teacher, and she just Tia was a child that would just capture your heart. She didn't mess around with a whole lot of other kids. She was, like, in her own space. And uh, that night we went to church and we come back. And she just came and gave me a hug. And I gave her a hug back. And the thing was with Tia, um, I laid them all down and everything, and went, we went to sleep. And when I woke up, it just like I just opened my eyes and turned around and looked like that. Just that, yes, the fire was just like that. All behind, all behind my back. And my first instinct was get up. got uh, I was with my baby's daddy and I went and got one on one end of the trailer to get the boys out. And then when I come back, he just had the baby. So I had to get Tia and Astra out. And was I was coming, Tia slipped out of my hand. So I got Astra out the door. And Tia, I ran back in to get her, but between... Say this this space and that space. The fire flamed up because the stove was right there, and I couldn't get to her. So I could me and Tia talk. I could talk to her, and I was saying, Tia, come to the window. I even bust my head through the window to get her to come to the window. And she was saying, "Mommy, mommy," and I'm saying, "Tia, baby, come to the window. Come, come to the window, Tia." I says, "Come, baby," and she was saying, "Mommy, I can't see you." So you know, I um. Uh, Wow, I I, I I sit down and this guy, I don't know where he come from, but he b- ran in the house and he tried to get her and he couldn't get her to get, you know, so um, I don't know. nothing. I, when I saw the MLS, I thought they had gotten Tia out of the house and all of that. So I was in one MLS and I saw, so, you know, but I was in the hospital for 15 days. And then nobody tell me that she was dead. They had did her funeral. They had um, did everything. And not even the people in the hospital said anything to me about it. So when we got ready to go home, they come to my daddy and my sister come to pick me up. And they say, um, we're coming to get you. And I'm sitting in the back seat of the car. And I says, well, when can I? See Tia? When can I go see her? And my sister out of no chalance. we already burned her. And I. Oh, my God. I just don't know. I, I tried to open the, the back door. I mean, it was just like, I never felt so much all bottled up in me and nowhere which way to go. I couldn't even scream. I couldn't. I couldn't do nothing. I was just totally numb, blanked. Nothing to say to nobody. I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't cope with it. You know, and even when I got to my sister's house cuz that's where we were staying at, everybody was coming in and you know, looking at me and how you feeling and you know, and it brought back the emotions from my mother. Mm-hmm. You know, God knows best, don't cry. You know, so I'm holding all of this stuff in me. And, you know, and everybody was coming to me saying the same thing. You know, ain't nobody yet say, how do you feel? All they were saying was God knows best. You You know, God takes the angels. He takes, you know. And I'm saying, okay, okay. But then the people that I used to get high with, they came to see me. And they listened to me. They listened to me cry. They listened to me, you know, even though we was getting high together, they listened to what I was saying and how I was feeling. And till I got to the point with them that y'all only here now because we just want to get high. <laughs> y'all ain't thinking about me no more. You know, so I had, you know, I had to cut them a loose, you know, cut that, that section loose for, for a while, you know, and I just went, went into solitary, I guess, I, I guess, I don't know, I don't even know if I went into depression, because I don't really know how I was feeling, I was a numb person just walking around, you know, um, then I just started hanging out, and then we found a place, and my house was like a party house, you know, but I got to that point where I knew I had to be in control. You know, uh, if you come to my house, you had to respect my house, you had to respect my kids. You didn't come here with no this and that because I had a bat and I start willing you, you know. So I, I got to that point there and um, still going in and out of trouble, you know, I ended up on probation. And uh, like I said, my probation officer, he would he would come by and he would say, Shirley, you know, we got to do this. And I know, and I was it was so ironic, but I knew that my probation officer was going to be there at four o'clock. I might start getting high at twelve o'clock. I and my cousin say, man, you know you're going to jail today. I say, yeah, but I, by me knowing I was going to jail, I also knew that I was going to get out. You know, because I knew my daddy was going to get me out because I would play a guilt trip on him, you know. So um, it was just crazy, you know, because, and I would know, and I knew that. So the last time I went to jail, and they were, it was around dinner time. They were bringing, I said, I don't want that food, because I'm getting ready to get out of here. My daddy going to come and get me out. But the majesty was a church member of my daddy's, and uh, she said, no, don't get her out. We're not going to get her out. And I said, and I'm sitting there, and I'm saying, you know, calling my daddy. You get me out. Just wait a minute. I'll be down there. But they had already done the talking. They sent my bill at $86,000 cash. Cash. I said, daddy, put up the house. He said, no, you got to have cash, girl. You know, and that was the beginning, you know, of me uh, getting on the right track. But the saddest thing was that day that they was taking me to prison, my son was on the bicycle, and he saw me sitting in the back seat of the police car, and I saw the pain Mm -hmm. and the hurt that I had did to him. You know, and it made me realize, you know, what have I done to my children? You know, I'm thinking that I'm only hurting myself but I hurt it my like kids, And I took 10 months of my life away from my children, which I could never get back at night, you know. And I had to realize that, you know, even looking at him and shaking my head and tears going down my eyes and looking at the hurt in his eyes. And even, even today, sometimes when I uh, see him, I go and visit him. I just give him a hug because, like I said, at 10 years, I can't get back. That might be 10 months, I'm sorry. But uh, after I got there in prison, and God was doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. Um, he carried me there, and I saw them bar wires going across, gas and I said, Jesus, you got to help me on this one now. And them women's that are talking about fresh meat, and I said, Oh, Lord, I know you got to help me because I'm in a whole new environment now. But but I'm a, I'm gonna take you back a minute because when they took me to the county jail and uh they had to take me to Lumberton and so they had to transfer me to Lumberton and, and then I get you back to, to Brisbane. This lady when they was taking me down there, the uh, two officers says Phew. We glad to get you here, because we ain't never had nobody like you before the transport, because I had done told, the officer told me he was from Bensonhurst, New York, right? You know Bensonhurst's mob. I said, oh, Lord, I in the car with the mob. Y'all gonna throw me in the woods. Ain't nobody gonna know it." I carried them down through there. So once I got in the cell, and uh, it was about four women's in there, and I said, look, I'm tell y'all something right now because I was drunk. I was hot. I'm tell you something right now. I'm not sleeping with my back up against no wall. And if anybody come messing with me, this is what's gonna happen to you. I don't play this. So the next morning the ladies uh, I had a hangover and they had sausage, And that ooh, I said, uh uh-uh. uh. So me and the young lady was sitting at the table talking. I say, Do they have people in here that murder people and stuff? She said, "Yeah." I said, "They do." I said, "They keep them in the same cell." She said, "Yeah." I said, "Well, is it anybody in here?" She said, "Yeah, the the lady you cussed out last night." (laughs) I became that woman's friend. (laughs) But anyway, getting into prison when I was there,
0: I said, "Wow." So, what were you charged with? uh, Probation violation. Probation violation. So. Prior to that it was just possession. Yes.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And how I guess I'm thinking as I'm hearing this, how were you getting the money? Oh, I will work. Oh, you work. Oh. Uh-huh.
1: And see, and the thing about it, like I said, I work, I place what I need to do for my household till I store that's why I was trying to figure out when when did the drugs take charge? Because I was still maintaining, but somehow or another, I was doing some crazy things. You know, like I was send the light bill money to the phone company. The phone bill money, I was send it to uh, the insurance company. You know, so everybody had to send me back their money. You know, so it gave me time to play with money. You know, to make sure you know, because I don't spend somebody's money. So by the time they switch it all back around, I be done had the money to make sure that everything go where they go.
0: That's a lot to manage.
1: I know, you know, I, and and getting high was a trip. It was, I mean, it was a nine to five job. You know, like um, my aunt, God bless her, God bless her. I will call her and I say, Aunt Lily. You know what I said I need to borrow $20 because I got to get some gas for my car so she'll say okay baby you come and get it I'll go and get it I make sure that I pay Aunt Lily because I know Aunt Lily is a person that I can get money from when I need it so this particular day I went over there I called up I said Aunt Lily I need to borrow $20 to get gas and everything she said okay come on so she me and her sit down and she talked to me how you doing I'm fine everything to bring the twenty dollars so she says, "Okay, baby." She hand me the twenty dollars. She said, "Here, here's the twenty dollars, and I want to let you know that I know you ain't got no car." <laughs> so God, I can't even take the twenty dollars <laughs> because so she done bust me. So I had to give my little the twenty, but I I just had to get up and walk out the house. I just left twenty dollars on the table
0: and walk, you know. But uh, it was just crazy how I was doing, you know. And, and Did anybody, it sounds like people knew, obviously your father was coming to get you out of jail. Mm-hmm. Did anybody in your family sit you down and say, this behavior has to stop or this no. is dangerous? Or
1: No. You know, you know I have my, old, one of my sisters, you know, she is very bourgeois. And she, you know, she looked down on me, you know, looked down on me. Oh, you need to stop this and this and that. You know, but you ain't never reach out and say, let me help you, you know. Well, my baby sister, she didn't know how to help me, but she wanted to help me, you know. Uh, She was just preaching about God, which I already knew about God, you know. But um, my other family, no, because they was all into their addiction. Um, I didn't even have friends that would say, you know, Cheryl... I guess because they saw that I was more in control of what I was doing and I was handling things that, because they would come to me and I would say, now you know you ain't got no business doing this. And I'm still doing the same thing, but there was, you know. But one thing, I I wanted to get sober and clean. I saw how people that went to treatment and come back, and I wanted what they had. What I said that you saw. I saw hat? a glow about them. I saw, you know, they didn't look the same way. You know, it was just something about that that aura about them that I really, really wanted. And I always said, I said, now if I go to treatment, I'm not getting high no more. You know, but I didn't ever make the step to go to treatment, but I wanted that, you know. And I guess by going to prison gave me that. And by giving me that, it gave me a, a sense of direction.
0: So when you were in prison, was your first instinct, I can't wait to get out of here and get high again?
1: Oh, I had them, oh, believe me, I had stuff already.
0: <laughs> you were prepared.
1: I'm prepared when I got out where well, I had, I had hit stuff, you know, um, and it was so ironic. I had wine in the pit in the commode tank. Sit back there, you know, and just laying down in the commode tank. I had marijuana uh, that I would sell to people. I had cocaine, powder cocaine, all in a container, and I had it buried. So I knew, you know, that the so when I get out, I was gonna have a party, and. It was crazy because, like I said, when I sat there, I sat in treatment. I went to the DART program. Um, Then I left and went to Mary Frances. And uh, Mary Frances, I I hate they closed it down, but I would recommend that for anybody that needed to go to treatment because it was a women's center, and I would recommend that for anyone. Um, I sat there in Mary Frances, and I ain't got no problem. And every time they would go around and say what they, their name and what it was, I would always say, my name is Shirley, and I'm a connoisseur. You know, because so, <laughs> I am not no addict. You know, I'm, I'm not into this stuff that you all talking about. I'm not claiming any of this stuff, you know. And um, one day, um, my kids, they, they finally let my children come up and see me. And my baby girl said, Mama, you coming? You, you going with us? i know no, I can't go back with y'all. And that bothered me, you know, because here I' looking at them leaving, and I can't go with them. So um, we was in a meeting, and I was sitting there, and I heard my story. And I, when I heard my story, I had to look because the lady who was sharing was on this side of me, so I had my head sort of down, so I had to look around because she was telling my story, and I'm saying, "How did she know this?" and I don't know nothing about this woman, you know, so it made me listen. You know, just hearing my story made me listen to wow, somebody else going through the same thing. Somebody else did the same thing, you know, and uh, that's when I said, you know, my name is Shirley. I'm an alcoholic and an addict, you know, because I heard my story. You know, and, and it was amazing. And then one day my counselor came in the room because we had to find out what our triggers was. So she came in the room and she handed me a cigarette lighter. First I did was hit my pockets. I ain't got no pockets. I got on a dress with no pockets to it, you know. So I knew that cigarettes, I mean cigarette lighters was a trigger to me. And, uh, you know, it made me start opening up and telling my story, you know. Okay. And it made me look back at Hope County. Okay, I, I can't go back like I left. You know, I gotta do something better. So I there I started sitting down and, and it was crazy because on my journey, that's why I was saying God was doing for me what I couldn't do for myself, a young lady came to me and said, Miss Shirley, I said, Yeah, can you teach me the Lord's Prayer? So I say, sure. You know, she was 36 years old, did not know the Lord's Prayer. You know, and I taught her the Lord's Prayer. There was women's in there going with one another. I talked, them, talked to them. You know, one woman wanted to stay until her mate got out, and she was getting out before. You know that ain't right, you know. So it was like talking, you know, just Being myself, and whenever they come and ask me questions, I would try to help. You know, Um, I ended up working with the chaplain. You know, there it made me real. I started the choir. You know, uh, it made me look at myself, and you know, and then we was in the family center, so I had to see the funeral of my daughter, which I never seen. So I had, to, I had to look at that before I came home because my counselor felt like, okay, Shirley, we can't let you leave now until you see this. We don't want you to relapse. You done come too far. You done, you, you know, you done did a lot of healing. And, you know, I even talked about my mother's death. You know, how, you know, as a child, I wake up on a Sunday morning and see my mother laying on the floor has going through a seizure. Didn't know what to do but pick up the phone and call the next door neighbor and hold my mother, you know, uh, I had to deal with that, you know. And 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 then looking at her later on, you know, looking at her and then going to the hospital and seeing her in the hospital with tubes all in her and that's the last time I saw her you know, and not being able to talk to nobody about it. You know, that, that was, growing up without my mother was one of the most devastating things to me, you know, and, and I, I get upset with people when I see how they disrespect their mother, you know. Um, it, was, it's, it, it was something, you know, and...
0: What was your mother's name?
1: Her, mother, her name was Tiny, you know, and you know, I, and like I was saying earlier as I was coming up this way thinking about my mother and my dad, you know, um, they was both, uh, my mother was a dietitian, my dad, he worked in the order, uh, it was called a sanitarium, uh, right there in McCain, and uh, even though, I mean, they were still, you know, working, but they were bootleggers. <laughs> you know, they sold corn liquor, and I guess that's, you know, it was I really tasted, I'm back up, I tasted liquor at the age of about three or four years old, you know, uh, me and my baby sister, we found a liquor jar, we drank it, and passed <laughs> out. Mama took us to the doctor, Dr. and say, tiny ain't nothing wrong with them girls but they drove. <laughs> but, um. Uh, you know, doing, you know, I, I look back at all those crazy things that I have done in life, you know, and I want to make a difference. You know, I want to make a difference in life. Um, Starting the Tear Heart program, you know, that made me think about my daughter, Teal. Mm-hmm. And I I see that she still lives on because, you know, be so many people that say, Shirley, you know, thank you. Thank you for this program. And it's thinking to you, you know, even though she died at an early age, she still lived on, um, just wow. I don't know, (laughs) but just thinking about those things. And then, you know, like I say, when I was, saw her, saw her video of the funeral, it was like, what, what else could I have done? You know, how, you know, how did she slip out of my hand? Because I had both, I thought I had them both tight. And then I had to look at it, It maybe it was that time, you know. Maybe it was her purpose for what she lived on earth. But it took me a moment to get to that point. You know, um, it took me months, years. You know, even now and then I just go to her grave. And sit there and talk to her. And you know, I just got a granddaughter and I went to Tia's grave and I said, You you an aunt, you finally are aunt, <laughs> you know, so you got to look over Chloe, you know. Um just whatever I just get, whenever I get sort of overwhelmed, I just go there. Sometimes I just go there and just sit and just sit there and then I'll feel better and
0: Do you think that's a source of comfort and support for you in your recovery?
1: I think so, yes. Because I I listen to so much, and sometimes I have to just get away. You know, either my dad or I go to Charlotte and just stay at my son's house. And and when I leave from there, I'm I'm feeling much better. You know, it's like I just got to get away, you know. The journey, the journey has been a journey, you know. I think all the crazy things that I've done, you know, i had the police to go take me to get drugs. And uh, people were scared because I said, look, I come to pick up what I need to pick up. I told her, I just flagged the police down. I don't know why I did that that day. I just flagged them down. I says, "Uh, I got to go see about my aunt. Can you help me? He said, sure. That's what we're scared to do. I said, okay. So I told her I wanted to go, and uh, I went in the house, and the drug dealer said, is you crazy? Give me what I got to get, and let me go on. So I got it, and I got back in the car. He says, how's your aunt? Do I need it? I said, no, she's good. You can take me back home. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you know, so he drove me on back <laughs> home, and I said, Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I remember our sheriff, our first sheriff, Jim Davis. Oh, my God. I was working with them, and he had, uh, he. Had, I was working upstairs that day, me and him was working, and he says, Shirley, he says, uh, I want you to go to Hardy's and get me a fiscal burger." I said, okay. So I gets on the phone, and I call the drug dealer, and I said, alright, this is what I on and everything. So I goes, and the hardest and pick it up, pick up his Frisco burger. He said, "Get you one too. Get me one too. Get you whatever you're drinking. I'm drinking beer, so I <laughs> gets me a hearty cup, pour out all the ice, pour my beer in there, and carry him his stuff in his office and sit down. And I'm at my because 'cause I'm, you know, I can see who coming in, going out. So that he and I don't sit up there. And not took me a one-on-one, so I'm ready. I'm cool. I eat this Frisco burger when I get home. He said, Shirley, come in here. I said, okay. I goes in there. I said, shh. I goes in there and me and him sitting down talking. And he said, Shirley, you know what? I said, what? He said, you know my office is bugged. I started looking around. and I said, huh? He said, you know my office is bugged. Now I done called the drug dealer and all of this here. I said, oh. I said, okay. I says, uh, I got to go home right now. I <laughs> got an emergency going on. I left and went home. I didn't come back for three days. He had to literally come to my house and get me. I was not going back up into that office until he told me that office was swept. I'm not going up in <laughs> Oh, but he was about crazy, too.
0: <laughs> that sounds like an intense way to live. <laughs> That's right. I- mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, what I hear when I listen to your story is I think when people think about addiction and people's stories of addiction, they think about drugs. But that's such a small part of the story. Your story is your daughter, your mother, and you. And the drugs are a small part, okay. I guess, of that story.
1: Yes, yeah. Because, I, I mean, you know... Like I said, I, um, with drugs, I mean, it was like, if I had it, I had it. If I didn't, I didn't. It didn't really phase me that much, you know. And I would tell the drug dealers, i say, well, look. See, when I bought, I wasn't that person that had to keep running in and out because I knew it cost a lot of traction. So I bought in quantity. And... I would buy, it was another for me to get three and a half grams, you know, because I know three and a half grams, I can cook it up, you know, so that's, you know, how I would
0: do it. And you never, you were able to control that and not over consume. Right, Right. If you were looking back at yourself when you started using drugs and drinking, what would you say to her? to you to yourself
1: what did I say to myself
0: yeah
1: why why did you ever start doing Uh, because I feel like I could have been so much more than what I am today I feel like it stopped me from where I wanted to be into where I'm at today so I feel like that part of my life stopped where I'm at today.
0: When you think about your life, when you were actively using drugs, if you could describe it in three words, what would they be?
1: Crazy.
0: (laughs) That was the first word I was thinking of.
1: (laughs) Crazy, just direct crazy. Uh, Crazy, uh, Crazy and, I mean, three words, crazy. Crazy is just really, I mean, stupid, you know, because I was stupid. I mean, you know, could have did better. Like I said, just stop me. Crazy, stupid, and ignorant to the fact of doing, you know, not knowing and then knowing.
0: Mm.
1: And continuing, you know, because I didn't know about it. But then when I knew about it, I should have been able to stop. But I continued to do it. And again, that was because I felt like I felt like it eased the pain. I didn't have to feel.
0: If you could describe your life now in three words,
1: exciting. <laughs> I have such an exciting life today. I mean, I am joyful. I'm grateful. Um,
0: and I'm blessed. That's a huge difference. Yes. So, I know you said you felt like maybe some of your potential was lost in the process. But you've gained a lot of wisdom. And you now have a joyful blessed life do you think it was worth it
1: yes i do you know i i don't regret my past because my past has made me stronger wiser knowledgeable and it's going to help me to continue to help me in my future you know i have so much to live for now you know uh, yeah i got a granddaughter first time you know so that, that within that alone, you know, because I could have been lost in that, wouldn't have ever seen it. You know, so I'm blessed and grateful for the day, you know, and I'm looking forward to the future of what God has planned for me. Because I want all of my blessings <laughs> and some, of those that don't want to pass them on, you know.
0: <laughs> and you're now in a place where you can fully appreciate them. Yes. Yeah. You know,
1: yes. And I can look back at my past and laugh at some of the things. Like I say, I, I, I really don't regret or, you know, I enjoy what I was doing, but I took it to a whole different level to where it became painful, you know. But I don't, it doesn't bother me anymore. Um, I can look back at it and say, hey, that's the old Shirley, here's the new.
0: It's a good place to be. Yes. Thank you for sharing your story with us. Thank you for listening to Recovery Is Possible, sponsored by the Sand Hills Opioid Response Consortium. For more information on treatment and recovery, visit our website at firsthealth.org/recovery-resources, where you can find additional resources, connect with a peer support specialist, and much more.